Hello and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today my guest is Andrea Wilson-Woods. Andrea is an author, speaker, advocate and entrepreneur to name a few. Andrea's story is nothing short of just amazing, to be quite honest with you. It's heartbreaking and it's inspirational. Andrea wrote a book, Better Off Bald, A Life in 147 Days. And the book is regarding her sister Adrian's battle with cancer. Um, she had stage four liver cancer. And the book is basically the last 147 days of her life. It's an incredibly heartbreaking story, but it's also an inspirational and it's real. And the way Andrea describes the book and the way she's set it out is both sides of the story. It's both sides of the page. Andrew's story and also Adrian's story and it's I encourage people to buy this it's it's get get your tissues out because you're gonna need it but it's good that and it's it's an incredible that Andrew actually put that out there um to help people as well you know following on from that I uh, um Andrea has created the Blue Fairy which is the Adrian Wilson Liver Cancer Association it's a non-profit charity which helps people uh, well basically helps prevent treat and cure primary liver cancer which is an absolutely fantastic thing they're doing an amazing amazing job over there which is fantastic so i encourage people to check that out following on from that andrew's also created cancer university now this is something that is needed i think uh, not a lot of people are doing this and basically cancer U is an online membership platform for cancer patients and cancer caregivers to educate and empower them to become advocates for themselves during their cancer journey to improve outcomes and reduce costs. Now, I did that sounded scripted because I did have to read that because I wanted to give it justice. I wanted to give it the perfect little kind of description of it. But, um, so yeah, guys, go on there to Cancer University. And And Andrea also gives us um, a little present as well. She gives people who listen to this podcast, will give us an um, unlimited lifetime access to Cancer University. So if you go on the page and type in uh, walk the line and the promo code, you'll get unlimited lifetime access. So thank you so much, Andrea, for doing that for us. So guys, without further ado, Andrea Wilson Woods. I don't know why I Right, we're live. Andrea, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Nice, very nice. What's it like over there? Are you still guys still locked down and under quarantine? Are you back to normal? What's happening? We are. And in fact, if you don't wear a mask in public now, you get a $500 fine and or jail time. So it's fantastic. $500? That's ridiculous. Living in America. Yeah, I know it's stupid. It is. That, you, you guys have got a lot of people kicking off as well, haven't they, about mask wear and all that sort of stuff? It depends on where you live. I mean, where I live in the southeast in Birmingham, Alabama, it hasn't been that bad. And so to force everyone to wear a mask in public, I mean, outside, outdoors is, yeah. I, I think, ridiculous. And it's, uh, it's, the worst thing about it is when people wear masks, you don't know what they're saying. So they could literally sit in there tell you to do it, like to, to tell you to F off. You don't even know it's them that's doing it. It's weird, isn't it? 
He I said, understand people. As I was talking, I was seeing this to the guy I was seeing about, because um, I'm doing like a, a, a big 24-hour marathon podcast in September for charity. And oh my gosh. I know, I know. So one of the games we've came up with is who said that? So it's when people are on there, so you put the mask on and you have to figure out who said it. You know? Okay, that's cute. I so like that. that. <laughs> get a crazy mask, at least that. So that's kind of using masks to be quite funny and do something quite entertaining sort of thing. But over here, it's not been too bad, to be honest. We've just had the pubs just been opened. So um, we're allowed out drinking now. So most of the UK are actually quite happy because we're both, we're all drunk. That's probably why. Um, <laughs> that has not <laughs> happened yet, no. Uh, okay. Well, that, I tell you what, when the pubs opened, it was a Saturday night. Yep, I took advantage of that. And I think the whole country was hung over on the Sunday. So it's, uh, it's good fun. It's good fun. But it's getting back to normal. We're, we're, we're getting some shops. But we're getting to the, the mask situation of you have to wear masks as well. And it's to be managed. Not as much as $500, which is shocking. It's only 100 quid, 100 pounds, which is uh, not too much of a hit. But it still takes a bit of a, a hit to the pockets, mind you. Yeah, for sure. But um, so, Andrea, we don't want to talk about this COVID stuff anymore. It's, I'm sick of talking about it and it's been going on for too long. Let's talk about something a bit more interesting. So, and it dates the podcast, right? So. I know. It's like the first the thing is, is this when you talk about it, you don't you know what to talk about. It's like, oh, I'm so sick of talking about this now. But it's, it's quite a big thing. You can't help but talk about it. But we don't want to talk about it all day. Not all the time. We've had six months of this crap. So let's go into something a bit more interesting and a bit more better. So, Andrew, I'm glad I, I'm, I'm looking forward to having you on, to be quite honest with you. Um, when obviously doing a little bit of kind of due diligence, and due, due diligence, sorry, I can't even speak right, uh, about obviously yourself and doing some research on you, um, it was, it, I looked at it and I couldn't believe the, your story, to be quite honest with you. Um, and obviously what you've been through, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching and it's, it's great what you're doing. Obviously, you've got the book and obviously putting yourself out there and letting people know about it. But let's go, like, can I start from can I, the beginning, if you're okay with that, and then just kind of move on from there. So, um, yeah, what, so, so what we're, obviously we had a few um, but back in, when you were younger. Have you always been living in Birmingham uh, all the time in Alabama? So have you always been living there or has it been uh, different? No, no. I was raised all over the Southeast. My parents were in the Air Force um, when they met. So we lived in different small towns across America. And then I went to high school here. And this is actually where my sister was born in Birmingham. But as soon as I turned 18, I wanted to get it as far away from my mother as possible. <laughs> so <laughs> I moved 2,000 miles away to Los Angeles. And um, by that time, my dad and stepmother lived in Phoenix, Arizona. So they were only about six hours away um, by car. And that's where I went to college. And I stayed in Southern California um, for my entire adult life up until five years ago. Um, that was the only place I had, had lived um, and uh, until I was tired of it and had to leave. A California girl then, is it? How would you, what do you think it was different? What's, what'd you, why did you stay in California? Did you just fell in love with the place? I, I did. I really did. I had an amazing college experience and I just, I fell in love with the weather, the people. I, I just, I love that, you know, you could drive two hours and be at the mountains or the desert or the beach in either direction. And um, yeah, I just, I mean, I really, I really loved it. And that's actually, uh, we'll talk about my sister, but that's where I ended up raising my sister in yeah. Southern California. And um, I, I did for a really, really, really long time, but um, there's a big price to sunshine as they call it there and um you, you know the cost of living is extremely high i was never able to buy a house 
Um, I spent, um, no joke, I did an actual mathematical calculation and it was conservative. I've spent a year of my life in traffic. No kidding. Really? And Is that so, what you've done? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I'm not kidding. A conservative mathematical calculation. And um, and, and I got tired of that too. I mean, you get so used to it when you're living there, but it's not normal to spend two to three hours a day in your car. It's, know, that's yeah. just not normal. But the thing is as well is the South, the California traffic is renowned all over the world really, isn't it? It's like, so we, we, over in the UK, so we think London's bad. And uh, we think, oh yeah, London's really bad. But I, I think London's not really... It uh, doesn't really kind of take a hit compared to this California traffic, to be honest. So I don't, I, I don't envy you at all. But a whole year is shocking. That is shocking. No wonder you got sick of it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I have a friend who's lived in Atlanta and Denver, and and both of those are like in the top five for worst traffic in the U.S. And he came to visit me in L.A. And neither one of us thought about the timing because he actually drove. He loves to drive, and we didn't think about the time he was arriving and. He got close to our house, and it still took him two and a half hours. And he and he was like, "Oh my gosh!" Like not even close. Atlanta and Denver, not even close to LA traffic. He was so miserable, and and that he was like, "I'll never move here. Like I will not do it. This is horrible." I, like, I hate life right now. I don't want to do this. I want to go yeah. home. Why did I not fly here? Why did I have to drive? Yeah, I don't. I don't know why I didn't fly. Um, but it's a great place to visit. I mean, yeah. it's definitely a fun place to visit. I don't know about now, actually, but normally it's a really fun place to visit. Yeah, no, yeah normally it's great, but no, give it a couple of months until everything kind of settles down a bit, but then we can talk about that again. But, um, so so from, from California, so you, you kind of moved, you said you moved away after your, obviously, from the, the, your, obviously your sister and stuff like that. What um, Was that well, was your sister not in California? Whereabouts was she living at the time? My sister was born here in Birmingham, and then um, my mother moved her several times, and then she came to visit me for Christmas vacation in 1994, and that was supposed to be just a two-week Christmas vacation, and it ended up becoming a permanent stay because our mother decided she didn't want to be a mother anymore, and my wow. sister and I have the same mother, different father, so her father um, died before she was born. She never got right. to know him. And um, I ended up getting custody of her. So I was 22 years old and Adrian was eight years old at the time. Jesus, Jesus. What was the reason? If you don't mind me, what was the reason why your mom, your mom just didn't want anything to do? Was she just, was it just, I don't know, was it a personal thing? She just didn't want to do it anymore? What was the reason behind it? Well, her exact words were that she didn't want to be a mother anymore, wow. but um, she had a prescription drug problem for many years. I mean, I didn't really in high school understand it. I started to understand it, but when you grow up with an addict and that's all you've known mm. and you don't know a different kind of normal, you don't necessarily see it. But I mean, when I was a kid, our cabinets looked like a drugstore when you opened them up. And my mother was a nurse and she oh, would whoa. bring home everything from work. And again, I thought this was normal. I thought it was normal <laughs> for nurses to do this, but apparently it's not. And so my mother had a really bad problem that was really manageable for a long time until it wasn't. And she lost her nursing license. And when that happened, her life just spiraled. spiraled. Um, it really did. And she was having a difficult time taking care of my sister. I mean, at that point, I was actually sending money home. Right. And um, I think that was the majority of it. Um, but what I didn't put together is that it was also three days before her 50th birthday. Oh, well, okay. And I think that played a role in it as well. I think she was just exhausted and mm. um, having a bit of a midlife crisis. I'm going about, well, you said your sister was eight years old as well. She was eight. So, 
So looking after a 50 years old, looking after an eight-year-old, you can understand that might be kind of, I'm not obviously defending obviously what she did and what she said, but you can understand that it did, must have took its toll on her sort of thing. She just couldn't handle it possibly. I mean, yeah, she, you'd know more than I do. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, she couldn't. She couldn't really handle it anymore. So did you have a good relationship with your sister before this? I did. I had a very good relationship with my sister. I mean, when I was in high school and we were in public, everyone thought I was a teenage mom. And then, oh, really? And that she, oh, yeah. And that she was my kid. And um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I took her everywhere with me as soon as I could drive. And, and she was my sidekick. And I had a great relationship. And in fact, the hardest thing about leaving to go to college was leaving her. I mean, yeah. that was the hardest part. Yeah, something to leave your as you mentioned, leaving your sidekick, like a little mini me. I used to call it. That's I call my daughter, little mini me, sort of thing. So, I can understand that's hard. So, I mean, you were away from college and you came back, but when you said you were twenty-two, was that when you finished university and all that sort of stuff? Were you still in uni, or did you leave? I finished actually the year before. I finished a little bit early. Yeah. Okay. So I'm just still here. My phone's been playing up my camera's playing up but yeah i can still hear and all that sort of stuff don't bear with us so 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 you said you're still in college sorry i uh, know i i'd finished school the year before i oh yeah okay early, early yeah she came back hey we go back oh, inception there it is oh that is funky there you go like that, <laughs> <laughs> that right. see modern technology this is what happens you know you, you rely on it it doesn't work properly but we're back we're back we can <laughs> If you're listening to this, we just had a bit of a camera malfunction, guys. So do we had a really interesting camera malfunction. <laughs> <laughs> don't, worry, don't worry, Andrew. The joy of editing. Don't panic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. I like it. So, so you came back. You had the full custody on your 22. What was that like? Because that, I mean, you said you had a good relationship with your sister. Anyway, was that something like it didn't really change much? Was it like I'm having, I've got my like my little buddy back, my little sidekick back, sort of thing? Was it quite good? It was, no, it was really difficult at first because the last few years, um, there, she had had no supervision. My mother had sort of let her run wild and there were no boundaries set. And when I tried to impose those boundaries, she didn't like it very much. And so um, we had a very um, early on this first few months, we had a very come to Jesus moment where um, I threatened to send her back to Alabama. Now I knew it was a completely empty threat and I was bluffing. There was no one to send her to and, yeah. and she didn't really know that. And um, it worked. I mean, I, I was able to, to bluff and, um, and we actually had an agreement that we made and it was that I would be her parent first, then her sister. And later on when she grew up, I was hoping I would become her friend. But that yeah. was an actual agreement that we made we, when she was that young. And, um, and that moment, and that was probably like four months into her living with me, that moment right there changed everything. It was a huge turning point for us. I mean, and that needed to happen because up until then, you know, she was just, I'm visiting my sister and this is a vacation. That's all it is. And eventually I'll go back to Alabama. I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it, it's very I want to put a very good way of doing it, to be quite honest, because most 22-year-olds wouldn't have really come up with that sort of thing, you know, because, you know, it's like, I spent, I'm, I'm running off myself. When I was 22, I was too busy, kind of just fresh out of, like, college and just want to go and party and that sort of stuff. So you had a lot of responsibilities. How did you, how did, how did that feel for yourself, being young and now having for someone to look after? I mean, how did that feel for yourself? Did you, was it a struggle for yourself or was it, as you mentioned before, it wasn't plain sailing to start off with, but how did you feel about it all? Um, you know, I don't think I realized 
what a big deal it was to have that kind of responsibility at my age. I mean, none of my other friends had children, so so I knew I was different. Um, but she she really she gave me a huge sense of purpose and 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 a, and a meaning and in a way you know I was like okay I have got to you know figure things out for her and we certainly struggled financially for a long time um, and it was really hard I mean there was a point where I had four jobs wow and you know um just to make ends meet and so it was it was difficult um financially but I loved being her parent and I just did everything in reverse that's what I tell people I was a parent in my 20s I got married in my 30s and I started business in my 40s so so, so just so reverse that's so all it's, uh, so it's party time in your 50s then yeah there we go, <laughs> there you go. That's, 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 that's the hope that's you're the looking hope. forward to now so that's what you're looking forward to so you, you so you're, you're going through and obviously this is like eight sort of thing she was going to school the relationship grew stronger through that time. You became, obviously, I can imagine you became best friends. I would completely understand, wouldn't you? And uh, so was there any, like, kind of ups and downs? What was it like? How was she? Was she a bit more? She seems, obviously, you like chatting, uh, doing the research. She obviously seems that she was uh, a lot of stuff. She liked to do a lot of stuff and going on. What was she like going? Uh, was she ambitious? Did she like doing stuff? Was she athletic? What sort of, like, you know, what sort of character was she? She was not athletic. In fact, really? she almost failed PE in elementary <laughs> school. And I was a PE teacher for oh, another joking. school in oh, another district. And she came home with this report card that was otherwise all A's. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Really? But it's like so you're disappointed. You're like, how dare you? Uh, uh, no, but she was, um, she's very artistic though. I mean, she was an amazing writer. She was a incredible visual artist. Her, um, her artwork had actually been hung in three different galleries in LA by the wow. time she was 15. Um, and, uh, I mean, yeah, she loved to paint, draw, you know, you name it. Um, she was a good actress, even though she hated acting. Um, <laughs> I was she's, actually teaching. I was, was going to say, she's probably a, a good actress when she's in trouble, trying to get out of a sticky situation yourself. That's probably what her acting skills probably uh, picked in, I imagine. The, yeah, there's that. I mean, but, but like <laughs> I was teaching an acting class and, um, a manager came in looking to cast someone in this part, um, for the just one, one day shoot for Disney. And the goal was for this person to come in and cast one of the students in my acting class. I had Adrian with me because I had her with me most of the time because I couldn't afford a sitter. Right. And this manager said, well, who's that little girl over there? And Adrian's like, I'm not an actress. You know, I mean, she wanted nothing to do with it. Well, of course she got the part. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and earned a couple hundred dollars doing it. Doesn't so. even need to try. Just turns up and she's there. Fun. Oh, that's a great story. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> love that. So, um, so obviously when we were always coming up to her, um, from the the the, the, the situation is that oh, I'm trying to don't know how to say it really to be fair, but it was 15. That's where really kind of that's where your whole world came to a kind of a grinding halt. I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, it did. Um, she was finishing up her freshman year of high school. And she was really finally coming into her own uh, middle school was really, really tough for her. And um, she'd been severely depressed and suicidal and to the point where I, I had found a therapist for her. And um, it was a really scary time. It was an extremely scary time. Um, I didn't know if, if she was going to get through that. And, um, but she did. And in high school, like I said, she was really starting to just find herself and, um, and just be who she was. Um, and, and she was a great kid. I mean, she was a really cool, interesting kid. Um, and a month after her 15th birthday, um, 
it was May of 2001, and she um, came home in pain from school and just saying she couldn't breathe and clutching her right side. And um, we went to her pediatrician who sent us to the ER, and an ER doctor told us that she had tumors in her liver and lungs. Wow. And that was like, that was day one of her very short 147 day cancer journey. Um, she was diagnosed with stage four liver cancer two days later after a biopsy. Um, she was in chemo a week later. Um, she did not go back to school. I mean, she finished school, but she didn't go back to school in person. I was actually teaching at the time All right, um, at a different school and I did not go back to school as a teacher. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and it was really brutal. It, it was, it was really, really brutal. And it just, it felt like it just came out of nowhere. I was going to say, it, it, for something to happen that fast, just as for like one day, fine, the next day, she's hurting. Then two days later, you've got this news, and it's just like, holy shit. It's yeah. like, well, it, it, it's just shocking, to be quite. You don't understand. It, it must have been hard for yourself, and obviously, Andrew, and that to kind of take it, all this in it's such a short period of time. And what was like the kind of mental state at that time? Was it like, kind of, was it disbelief and all that sort of stuff? Or was it, what, how was it going on with yourself? Yeah, I mean, I th there was there's was a sense of disbelief. I mean, I I just I had a really bad feeling. I mean, I I just I just did. And um, after after the ER doctor said what he said, um, and my friends were convinced that you know, no, no, it can't be cancer. It's not going to be that again. We had two days before we knew for sure, but I, I don't know. I just knew. Adrian knew, and in fact, when she was being wheeled in for her CAT scan at the ER. Um, she said, Hey, Sissy, watch it be cancer. And I was like, Oh, bite your tongue. And we're laughing. I mean, that was just yeah. our sense of humor is pretty between the two of us. It was kind of warped and sick. And, <laughs> and, um, and she was just so funny. And, and so, I mean, I knew she knew we, we both knew that like, no, this is, this is going to be exactly what it sounds like. Um, and, um, I lived in what I call a very healthy state of denial because I could not allow myself to think that she wasn't going to make it, even though deep, 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 deep down, um, I, I didn't think, I didn't think she would. It must've been hard to go through sort of thing, you know what I mean? Especially when you, you, you have to keep strong, you have to kind of keep strong for her, for her sake and all that. She needs someone there with her. I mean, how was she during the process sort of thing? Was she, was she uh, like, upbeat and all that sort of stuff? Was she trying to keep her spirits up? Yeah, I mean, she, she did most of the time, especially at, when she was at the hospital for chemotherapy. I mean, she would not allow anyone in her room who was negative. And in fact, very early on, she actually kicked me out of her room and sent me home. It was one of the few nights <laughs> that I uh, wasn't with her um, because she felt like I was too negative. But, um, but she, I mean, she had her moments. She definitely had moments of sadness and, um, you know, frustration and, and anger. Um, but what she never had was pity. And I can't think of an adult who could have handled it better than she did. I mean, she just, she, um, she had grace and dignity and strength and humor. And exactly. those are sort of the four things I measure my life by every day. Like it, like, am I living my life by these four things? Because, yeah. um, she really did handle it that way. And when she started to take a turn for the worse, when she was not, um, physically as strong, um, and couldn't keep up a conversation for as long as she wanted to. She um, stopped seeing her friends sort of one by one by one. Um, 
and uh, it was it was it was very very difficult. In fact, I try not to read reviews of my book, but right. <laughs> I saw one. I, I should turn off all notifications from Goodreads, but a notification popped up and you got a new review, and it was a five star review. But Wait. the first line this guy said was the saddest book ever. And I was like, oh, gosh, you know, but, but he gave it five stars. So well, give five stars. That's the main thing. So, <laughs> so you've, you've wrote the book of the tale. Let's right. talk about the book. It's, um, you've wrote the book about the whole kind of, was it the, um, the 147 days, was it? Yeah. Yeah. Of Better that. off bald, a life in Better 147 bald. days. What, would, what, what can I made you write the book? Well, I had always wanted to write our story, uh, just mm. about us as sisters and, and how I came to raise her. And, um, and so that was always sort of in my head. And, and I'm a writer. And I'd love to write. Um, I did not think this was the story that I was going to write. You know, I didn't yeah. think this was going to be the outcome. Um, and when I was raising Adrian, she kept a journal. She actually started an online journal oh, before right. she ever got sick. And she continued doing the journal while she was sick. Wow. Um, and I kept a medical journal during her cancer journey. And when I decided I was going to write the story, um, it didn't initially happen this way, but I was in an amazing writing workshop and it kind of just struck me um, one night as I was walking back to my car. I remember in the parking lot after the workshop and I was like, wait a minute, she kept a journal. I kept a journal. That's how the story needs to be told because it was such a short amount of time. Mm. And so the book is structured like a journal where days are chapters. And by day three or four, every single chapter is introduced with Adrian's words. So you get to see her point of view as a patient and my point of view as her parent and caretaker, if you will. That's a great way. It's a great way to public and up do it sort of things so you're getting two points the story you're just you're getting the, the 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 patient as well as the the loved one who's on the side i think that's a great way of doing it when you were writing when you were doing the the, the book you when you're you doing it was it was it hard to kind of relive that it was one again yeah it was horrible it was really it was not a cathartic experience yeah. for me at all i know a lot of people think writing is but no. it wasn't for me because to write it the way I wanted to, because I wanted people to feel like they were right there with us and to go to that place. I mean, you do, you have to really relive it and you have to go back there. And that first draft was just, the first draft was written over about two year period and it was utter torture. Um, But I did write it in Adrian's bedroom where she died. All right. Okay. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I mean, was, um, was there any point in time you realized you can't do this sort of thing? Is there any time you can uh, sit there and went, this is, this is too much. No, I, I knew I would finish it, but after that first draft, I thought I was just going to turn around and turn around and whip out the second draft because I had all these amazing readers and I got all this great feedback from them, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't, I didn't do the second draft for a few more years. I, I, I had to walk away from it because it was just too difficult. Too much. I can imagine that must take a hell of a lot of like kind of energy to do something as as traumatic as that and relive that again. You don't really want to go through it again after you've yeah. already been through it twice, basically, you went through it real time and then have to write the book and go through it again. And do it three times, it's like, oh my God, that would yeah. destroy it. It would destroy any, any normal person, to be quite honest with you. So I don't blame you. She took some time out. How long do you take out of doing the third draft? Um, I finished the first draft 
in 2008. It was actually the thesis for my master's degree and oh, okay. the book wasn't published till 2019. So <laughs> there were lots, lots of breaks in there for sure. Lots of breaks. And, and when you, you get to the, the part where you're actually just getting to the final sort of copy editing and proofreading, that's a totally different, that's so left brain. You're not reading it anymore. It's such a different experience. It does. Yeah. It's just like you, you, you can, uh, you're kind of narrating it no more than reading it, if that makes sense. If like, it kind of Yeah, you're not connected to the content the same yeah. way. So I had not read my own story from right. beginning to end in so long. So I waited a few months after the book was published, and then I said, okay, I need to actually read my own book. And because <laughs> um, I was getting ready to do a talk on it. Um, and I sat down to read it, and like I said, I had not really read it, you know, except for the, yeah, editing just doesn't count. It's totally different. And, yeah, sure. Um, and I just cried. Yeah. I just cried. Just brought, brought everything back sort of thing again. Yeah, it did. It did. Wow. But, um, so, so the book, what was the, what's been the reception you've got from the book? Are you, you've, you've, you had some, you mentioned about a five-star review, but the saddest story ever, is that the yeah. kind of similar, what you've got? You... Um, that, yeah, you know, actually that's a really, that's a really good example is that, um, I'm, I'm really, really proud of the book. Um, it's been embraced by the medical community, which I think says a lot. Um, I've had more than one doctor say this needs to be taught in med schools because I go into a lot of detail. Again, I wanted people to really understand the experience of a cancer patient and a caregiver and to really get it because your life changes so radically so quickly and, or at least it, it did for us. And, um, some people, um, the people who didn't like the book as much don't like that level of detail. They thought it was too much. Um, but that's okay. That's a choice that I made. But, um, but everyone has said, you know, uh, the book is, um, you know, powerful, moving, um, sad, um, but also inspirational. Um, and, and a lot of people have really said how much they just love, they fell in love with Adrian. And, yeah. and that means a lot to me. It's telling a story and seeing how she was as a person, how she fought, how she kind of carried herself, even through the most horrible time ever. She's yeah. still there with smiles and getting on a bit and all that sort of stuff. And that's, it does, I mean, the thing is, is when you write something like that, and it's great hearing people's feedback, but the, the good feedback that you get, the inspirational feedback that you get from people, that must be, is, that's obviously why you did it sort of thing. Get her story out there to help make possible other people, you know, and exactly. that, that, that's what you really kind of want. That's, that's the idea of like kind of people writing books. If you, I, I mean, I understand when people just write books for the sake of writing them, you know what I mean? It's just like, okay, but if you write a positive message and it's really something I, I'm, I always love hearing like kind of really positive stories that people have came through and they're here now and this is a story and you can relate to it uh and i I'm, i would like to think i would probably definitely think that that's your story that you've written a book which probably helped a number and number of people who's read it so uh yeah yeah it's it's been it's, it's really extra special when someone who's a cancer survivor um, or even a current patient or someone like me who was the caregiver for, for a cancer patient reads it and, and lets me know what they thought of it. That means a lot to me too. That's fantastic. You know, with the, the book itself, you, you mentioned it's obviously you went right into detail and so obviously the Adrian's kind of final days sort of thing. I mean, it's like, what was the main reason you, you, you I think you touched on earlier, but what was it really the main reason you wanted to get into that much detail? I, I wanted people to 
really understand what it was like. Um, I've, I've read a number of memoirs. I mean, it's my, it's my absolute favorite genre um, to begin with. But I, you know, in preparation for writing my own book and, and to really get a sense of what I liked and didn't like, I've read a lot of memoirs about um, cancer, you know, mm. or, you know and, um, and what I found is that it seemed like every single one to me glossed over the hard parts. And, and just focused on, you know, the, the good stuff. And it's yeah. like, no, there's some really hard stuff here that sucks and needs to be talked about. And yeah. it's okay to talk about it. Um, and, uh, and so I thought it was important that people understand it. Um, and that includes um, Adrian dying. Adrian mm -hmm. died at home. And, but I had to fight to get her home. You know, I had to fight the medical establishment because why they was, didn't just don't want to. Why did not want to release her? They wanted to put her on a respirator, and if I had said yes, then she could not have gone home on a respirator. Right. And they thought it was in her best interest to be on a respirator, um, and and I just I just had to fight them, and so and that's that's even another reason. It's to show people that you can make a different choice. You don't have to do what the medical establishment says. And I didn't, and they thought she was going to die right then and there. And if they had put on a respirator, she probably would have died in the hospital, never woken up. She woke up, she woke That's up awesome. and they were shocked. And she woke <laughs> up wide awake, talking normal, you know, like going so to the bathroom by herself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, the doctors were weeping, just weeping. They couldn't believe it. I mean, this was Fantastic. like five o'clock in the morning. It was crazy. And I took her home and it was just, it was just, it was wonderful in the sense that for the next two days, every single person who wanted to came and said goodbye to her. Yeah. And, and that was beautiful. And so I do feel like, and now I'm going to get really emotional. I do feel like if nothing else, I did give her a beautiful death. You know, I did make sure she was home in her bed, surrounded by people who loved her. She was not hooked up to a single machine. Um, and, um, you know, I, I know for me, that's how I'd want to go. Fantastic. Well, obviously what you're doing now is keeping her memory alive more than anything else. Not just with the book, because um, you're obviously doing other things now, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. So um, a year and a half after Adrian died, I started a nonprofit dedicated to her specific type of liver cancer. And um, you can learn more about it by going to bluefairy.org, B-L-U-E-F-A-E-R-Y. Uh, and I should say, uh, I, which I think you'll appreciate this, people always ask why Blue Fairy? You can go yeah. on the website and find out. Um, but they also ask why fairy with an E instead of an I, and she preferred that spelling. So one of her <laughs> really? dreams... Yeah, one of her dreams that she didn't get to fulfill is um, she she always like was sort of fascinated by Europe, um, but particularly Ireland. And right. so, I don't know, I don't know, Ireland. What's special about Ireland? Scotland is so much better than Ireland. I know, I know. What's <laughs> going on there? <laughs> but uh, she'd always wanted to go to Ireland, so that was one of the things on her list that we we couldn't right. make happen. But um, yeah, she so she really always preferred spellings that were you know British or Irish or whatever. So yeah. Definitely. So I think, so how's the, 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 the charity you're doing? Um, how's it going? What sort of, like, can I, you, you raising a lot of, uh, doing a good things. What are you, what are you sort of doing to the charity? Yeah. So, so Blue Fairy, um, mission is to prevent, treat and cure primary liver cancers, specifically hepatocellular carcinoma, which is 
um, for lack of a better word, just the most common type of liver cancer, yeah. the research, education, advocacy. Um, so uh, we do a lot of patient education. Um, our stuff is available. We ship all over the world. Our website's translated now, I think, into 10 other languages. We're up to 10. Wow. All targeted, yeah, at the, at the liver cancer population. Um, and it's just much more prevalent outside the U.S., um, and then, yeah, more prevalent, sorry, outside the U S. Um, and it is, it's going, it's going very well. It's grown a lot. And specifically in the last like five years, because it's one of the few cancers in the U S that's on the rise. Um, really? I believe it's also on the rise. Yeah. in the, in the UK as well. Mm. Um, and, uh, and it's just a very difficult cancer to treat. Um, it's incredibly difficult cancer to treat as compared to some, some other more common cancers. And, um, and then I have a health tech startup, which is a totally different company, different animal called Cancer University. And um, you can learn more about that at cancer.university. And that's a for-profit social benefit company. And we're trying to address all cancers with Cancer University. Right. Oh, wow. Great. You do know this. You actually have time to, like, for yourself, you actually got enough time to just kind of chill out and relax with the family sort of thing. You know, it's funny, I did, I do videos for LinkedIn and I yep. actually did a video a few weeks ago about how I don't have hobbies anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I not blame you. Like, I don't, I don't have hobbies. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you, I listened to what you've just rolled off your top of your head, Andrew, what you're doing. It makes me feel lazy. I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I need to get my finger out and actually start doing stuff now. <laughs> <laughs> but it's good for film, but it's the, the, the cancer university. That's, that's a great, great thing that you're doing as well. That's it's not, you said that's for every sort of like kind of, kind of cancer out there. Yeah. So it's a, it's an online membership platform. It's for right. cancer patients and caregivers it's to educate and empower them to become advocates for themselves, um, to reduce, uh, costs, but also of course, improve outcomes for patients. And so it's designed just like an online university and we combine, um, courses with community and with coaching wow so that's um how, how's that been received are you getting is it going well so far yes yeah, we're still a very young company we've yeah. totally bootstrapped it and now we're um, raising a seed round of funds but we have gotten such an amazing reception um and it really started as just this idea that was percolating in my head a need that i saw um with my nonprofit and with many yeah, many right. other areas that it's like you can have great information and give it to people, but 95% of the time, people just don't know what to do with that. They're not sort of mm -hmm. natural advocates. And so um, I've been coaching pro bono patients and caregivers for over 15 years wow. um, over the phone. And, um, and people need that sort of assistance. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the comparison um, is that sort of, you know, you can give someone a fish or you can teach them how to fish. Yeah, so one of that, yeah. Right. And with cancer, you were teaching people how to fish. Fantastic. That's great. That's great. So, so what's in the future? Are you still doing the startup and getting yourself out there? It's uh, um, anything different, anything out in the horizon that's going to be different? Anything new you've got on your, your kind of sleeve you want to share about? Or Well, according to you, in my 50s, I'm going to be dancing and partying. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, get... I'm a little way away from my 50s, but I'm I getting know, yeah. there. <laughs> Apart from getting absolutely wasted in your 50s, you've got a few years to cry. <laughs> Knuckle down, then you can That's go right. and get nuts. I got... <laughs> uh, no, I have my I have my hands pretty full with uh, with Blue Fairy, my nonprofit, and with Cancer U, um, and with just you know promoting my book. Um, eventually, I, I want to write a few more books. Um, yeah, 
What's but, what, were you, what are you looking at? What subjects are you thinking? Are you just like kind of fiction, nonfiction, or nonfiction? Nonfiction. Non oh, I bow down to people who can write novels, but that's just that's not my <laughs> not my jam. I, I I would like to write a children's book series, uh, but um, uh, but uh, yeah, I can't. I. I, I don't read a lot of novels anymore. I mean, I like them, but I don't read a lot of them. But uh, nonfiction, because a lot yeah. of people ask me sort of what happened, what's next, because my book, Better Off Bald, ends um, on the day of my sister's burial. That's exact. That's where it that's ends. That's right, yeah, because everybody's saying about what happened after, that's right. Everyone wants to know what happened after, and so I think that's the, the next book is sort of... Um, the aftermath. That grief, yeah, the aftermath, grief, um, the marriage I went through and, you know, um, and I never would have gotten married if I hadn't been grieving. Um, mm. you know, just, just all the choices I sort of made and the, and the depth of that grief. You think you'd be able to go through that again? I'll never go through anything like that again. Yeah. I lost the most important person in my life. I'll yeah. never go through anything like quite like that again, because I lost both my sister and my child and I don't have any other children well my pets think they're my children but and there's one right over there but um just looking at you right now god you oh, better yeah. say something good about me she she you know that whole uh zoom bombing she started it the cat right? <laughs> um, she's she usually she's made an appearance by now um uh no I mean I I did I I lost the most important person in my life and um and, you know, and the crazy thing was, is that I always knew I would outlive my sister. Always. I always knew. But I really? thought I would be in my 70s and she would be in She'd her 50s. She'd be like, yeah, so it's not going to be that much of a young sort of state. But it's yeah. great. It's great that you're obviously, you're putting her, uh, your voice out there and you're teaching people and you're helping people to understand the horrible disease that is cancer sort of thing. So uh, what you're doing is absolutely fantastic. So I take my hat Thank off you. to you, Andrew. It's fantastic. So... So um, whereabouts can people find your book then, Andrew? Where can we find uh, uh, is it on Amazon or is it any specials on every nationwide Yeah, go to uh, Better Off Bald. So yep. B-E-T-T-E-R-O-F-F, -F, I can't spell today, B-A-L-D, betteroffbald.com. <laughs> and you'll see all the retailers, including, I think, one, is it Waterstones? Is that Waterstones, yes, yeah, a UK one. Yeah. We've got it here, yeah. Yeah, they, they sell it online. Um, Fantastic. Yeah, so uh, betteroffball.com and the, all my social media is there. And um, and then I have a gift for your listeners. Oh, like we've it. got a light gifts. A light gifts. Go for it. I'm enjoying this. Once <laughs> I get my pen and paper, now I'm excited. <laughs> so oh, um, you, you can tell I'm Scottish, can't you? Everything's for yeah. free. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that or you're a celebrity and your net worth is $100 million because they like free stuff. Well, I, I have been I have been told that I am the the the, the Scottish Joe Rogan. I, that's been bossed about. I think it's the bald head. Really? More it's the bald oh, head. I've got no. I'm completely different from him. It's just the bald head. I think that's what it is. Oh my god, that's so funny. Okay. <laughs> um, well, just keep in mind that right now at Cancer University, um, everything is designed with the U.S. healthcare system in mind. However, yep. I still think there's a lot of value to it. Listeners, so uh, we want to offer them free lifetime memberships. To wow. cancer you um, it's really ideal for newly diagnosed cancer patients or caregivers of those patients so if they just go to cancer.university and they click apply now it'll take them to an application um, that they fill out and when they get to the bottom you want to click i have a coupon code and the coupon code for your listeners is walk the line all caps all one word and that will waive it and they'll have a free lifetime membership 
Brilliant. That is absolutely fantastic. I appreciate that so much. So there you go, guys. Get on that. Get on the website, Cancer.University. Go and have a look when you can get some uh, free membership. Thank you so much for that, Andrea. I am going to, um, yeah, hopefully people can take advantage of that and uh, you get some new members for it. So, yeah. so Andrea, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Um, it, your story is absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's, a, it's how you've, what you've been through and what you've actually done and how you've actually created it and like in a book form. But the way you've done it is truly, it's inspirational to obviously myself when I read it and I would like to thank a lot of people. So it's been absolutely fantastic. I really hope things kind of go great with everything that you're doing. And um, yeah, let me know when the next book comes out, we'll do a follow-up in this and we can do I something know. else, something different. All right. Thank you, Ryan, so much for having me. No problem at all, Angela. Take care. Okay, bye-bye.